I would now like to invite Minister Hoskins to the podium to introduce our guest speaker. Minister. Well, thank you, John. Um, ladies and gentlemen, honored guests, I'm excited to be here for what promises to be a lively discussion on how to cultivate the leadership we need to keep our city and our province prosperous. The Ontario government is proud to support the Diverse City Project. And the goal, as we all know, is a bold one to change the face of the Toronto region's leadership for the sake of our social and economic well-being. Diversity has always been Ontario's strength, and nowhere else do more people come together from all over the world to build such strong and vibrant communities. And this is something our next speaker knows very well. Her Excellency, Her Excellency the Governor-General immigrated to this country from Haiti in 1968. Her story is an inspirational one, and so is her record of service to the community. She's an example of what it means to be an active citizen and a community leader. Before becoming Governor-General, Madam Jun had a distinguished career as a journalist with the CBC, she is the recipient of the inaugural Amnesty International Canada Journalism Award, and her recent diplomatic tours to Haiti and Africa have helped provide insight into the lives of those who live in circumstances much different than our own, while at the same time reminding us of Canada's great opportunity as well as our global responsibilities. And her work with and on behalf of youth is, well, just plain exemplary. The Governor General once spoke about diversity as not only a fundamental fact of modernity, but as a turning point for society, as something that will help us chart a new path forward. And she has worked hard to chart that new path by personally engaging leaders in Canada and around the world. Most recently, as she traveled through parts of Africa, she spoke of her role as one of diplomacy of proximity. Now, this notion of diplomacy of proximity is an important lesson both at the international level and at the level of our own communities. It teaches us that to build strong communities, we need proximity, we need interaction, and dialogue. We need to bring people together. And early on in her role as Governor General, she spoke of the constructive power of solidarity and of dialogue as a powerful tool to break down barriers to achieve a common goal. And as we come together today to engage in that dialogue, to move toward that solidarity, we're honored to have her thoughtful contributions to today's discussion. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to Her Excellency, the Right Honorable Mikhail Jean, Governor General of Canada.
Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Merci. Mr. McKenna, Ms. Augustine, Ms. Stronach, Senator Zimmer, Senator Grafstein, Minister Huskins, Mr. Capobianco, Mr. Tory, Ms. Omidvar, dear friends, chers amis. Laissez-moi vous dire d'abord à quel point je suis touchée de cet accueil chaleureux que vous me réservez. Et je tiens à vous remercier infiniment de votre présence ici cet après-midi. C'est bon d'être de retour à Toronto. Et je suis très honorée d'être avec vous. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. And thank you all for being here this afternoon. It feels so good to be back to Toronto, and I'm very, very honored to join you today. And I feel particularly touched because the Canadian Club of Toronto has been very instrumental in enhancing the scope and quality of public debate in Canada. And like you, I recognize the importance of open dialogue, critical thought, and freedom of expression, ideals that you have helped to promote and cultivate across our country for over 100 years. And you must be commended for your contribution. Bravo. I am also delighted to have been invited to open the Diverse City panel discussion, which will shed new light, I believe, on the kind of leadership Canada needs to prosper in the 21st century. We are a society of pluralism, and diversity is one of our greatest strengths. We know that. Just look around the room for a moment. We are of indigenous descent. We are of European descent. We are of African descent. We are of Arab descent. We are of South Asian descent. We are of East Asian descent. We are of Caribbean descent. We are of Latin American descent. C'est ça le Canada. Dear friends, we are Canada. And Canada contains the world. Le Canada contient le monde. And according to statistics, Canada's projections, the number of foreign-born and indigenous people in Canada will more than double over the next 20 years. And this is particularly true for Toronto, which has already been heralded 
as one of the world's most multicultural cities. So given these demographic projections and the current turmoil shaking the global economy, I believe our discussion on effective leadership is both timely and crucial. And who better to pursue this conversation with than you, the movers and shakers of Canada's business community? Many would agree that it is in, in part thanks to your openness to bold new ideas, thanks to your flexibility in the face of shifting market conditions, and thanks to your willingness to embrace financial responsibility that we, are able, we were able to weather the worst of the global recession. Et il est maintenant plus clair que jamais que l'économie canadienne est un modèle de stabilité dans un marché mondial tellement volatile. It has now become clearer than ever before. Canada's economy is a model of stability amidst the volatility of the global market. And I salute you all for your contributions. Yes, we have many reasons to be proud. Yes, we have many reasons to be more optimistic. But pride and optimism should not make us complacent. For as many economists are warning, the storm may not be over yet. Economic turmoil abroad may undermine economic recovery at home, adversely affecting the lives of many Canadians and potentially straining the very fabric of our society. So as we strive to regain our footing in the midst of an uncertain world, let us draw strength from the creativity and dynamism of all Canadians and let us find comfort in the values of solidarity, inclusion, and caring that define us as a nation. Over the last five years of my mandate, I have met thousands of Canadians of all backgrounds and persuasions who live by these very values. And as I traveled across the country, I was not very interested in exploring our differences because I believe we have already undertaken that exercise. What fascinated me was discovering all that we have in common. Whether I was in the North Point Douglas neighborhood in Winnipeg, Tedford Mines in Quebec, Clyde River in Nunavut, Edmonton in Alberta, Summerside in PEI, Timmins in Ontario, or Capel in Saskatchewan, one thing became very, very clear. We Canadians care.
And we are prepared to go the extra mile to help anyone in need. Just look at our unprecedented outpouring of support for the people of Haiti in the aftermath of the earthquake, which devastated so many parts of their country. Just look at the women and men who are casting their differences aside to pursue homegrown solutions to some of Canada's most intractable problems. And when I ask Canadians, why are you so engaged? Why are you so engaged? They tell me that it all boils down to refusing to be indifferent. Taking ownership of one's responsibility as a citizen. Renewing a spirit of hope within our communities and using the spark of compassion to ignite the hearts and minds of all those who surround us. Let us be clear, every gesture is important. Every gesture counts. And everyone has a role to play. You name it. Ordinary citizens, public officials, law enforcement representatives, faith communities, nonprofit organizations, and of course, you, the private sector. And please understand that in the places I have visited, Canadians have lauded the role corporations are playing in supporting community-based initiatives. Whether it is in reaction to in-kind support, to mentoring and internship opportunities, or even to financial donations, corporate engagement is being trumpeted as an integral part of the drive to inspire change in our communities. I've seen how it has given rise to new friendships and new synergies, how it has brought companies closer to the communities in which they operate, and how it has helped Canadians understand that no matter what the naysayers say, business can be a force for social good. And it is because I too recognize that you, you can be, you can be a catalyst for change that I would like to speak to you directly about an issue that is very dear to my heart. Empowering young leaders. As many of you probably know, one of the main reasons I accepted to become 27th Governor General of Canada is because I wanted to give a voice to the dreams, the aspirations, and the perspectives of Canadian youth. When I worked uh, as a journalist at Radio-Canada and CBC, I discovered uh, 
an almost untapped wealth of talent and creativity, as well as a refreshing outlook on the world coming from youth. For numerous young people, the old grudges and, and prejudices of the past are moot points. Canadian youth are growing up in an era in which having friends from a variety of backgrounds is increasingly de rigueur. De rigueur. <laughs> Learning about different cultures and languages is cool. Embracing a more cosmopolitan identity is popular. And thinking globally for local change is crucial. And I find great pleasure in this culture of respect, this culture of openness, this culture of action. I can relate to it. It is a story of my life. Parce que depuis toujours, je suis convaincue d'une chose, c'est que les jeunes sont une force vive dans notre société, non pas seulement pour l'avenir, mais pour le présent, pour ici, maintenant. Et nous serons tous gagnants si nous enrichissons, nous encourageons, nous accompagnons leur plein potentiel et si nous le valorisons et si nous l'exploitons. Then as now I am convinced that young people constitute a vital force in our society. And everyone wins when we nurture, we enhance, and leverage their full potential. And that is why, as Governor General, I have dedicated so much time and energy to engaging youth from every corner of the country in a dialogue on building a stronger, more prosperous, and more harmonious Canada. We live in a country of many possibilities. And our history reflects the very triumph of hope over adversity. Yet our society is not sheltered from the scourge of social exclusion. And during several of my youth dialogues, many youth have reminded me that even today, some people are rejected because they are indigenous. Some people are rejected because their parents were born in a different country, because they are of a different faith, because they are female, because they have a partner of the same sex, because they belong to a linguistic minority, because they have a disability, because they are poor. And it's, it's so important to listen carefully as young, people, as young people invite us to follow their lead by embracing diversity in all sectors of society. Why? 
because it is then and only then that we will unleash the full potential of our country. To me, investing in diversity makes sense. It makes business sense. Let's uh, think about it for a moment. Having people from diverse backgrounds in senior management positions can confer better access to lucrative local and international networks and markets. Maintaining a plurality of perspectives and life experiences in an organization can boost creative and innovative output. Employing a greater number of people from diverse backgrounds can help to raise the overall consumption power of a broader proportion of the Canadian population. It is simple. Saying yes to diversity is saying yes to modernity, yes to opportunity, and yes to the very future of our country. But saying no carries a huge price. For each time social exclusion closes a door, another door is opened to desolation, frustration, and despair. We have to look to our streets, to some of our neighborhoods and hoods, or to some of our more isolated rural and northern communities to encounter a youth who has lost faith in society, adrift and sinking. He once had a big dream. That lack of opportunity simply snatched away. His father may have suffered because his PhD from a university abroad is not recognized in Canada. His mother may be an Indian residential school survivor who still bears the scars of her harrowing experience. His entire family may be unable to find decent and affordable housing and must scour the streets for a place to sleep. These circumstances and situations of vulnerability are fertile ground for predators to sneak in like thieves in the night to steal the alienated into their fold. If anything, the existence of criminal youth gangs and juvenile prostitution testifies to organized crime's determination to prey on feelings of powerlessness and solitude. And this can shatter dreams. This can bring explosions of violence. 
and this can even scare capital investment away. So we cannot afford to be indifferent, nor can we risk turning a blind eye. This does entail welcoming diversity with open arms at all levels of our institutions. But it also requires opening our hearts to the new generation in its entirety and investing adequately in developing and harnessing its potential. Let's be honest. Those of us in this room who have children like me know that it will be very easy for them to find promising internships, opportunities, scholarships, and well-connected mentors. But there are tens of thousands of children and youth who may never have access to these networks, who may never have the right role models, who may never have access to the right internships. So how do we fix this imbalance? So once again, I must turn to uh, the insight of our youth. When I visited the Remix Project, a Toronto-based creative arts organization that teaches business skills to underprivileged youth, I asked them what they thought the solution was. And some of them are here today. Their answers spoke volumes. We need mentors, they said. We need access to more networks in the business community. We need more support from the private sector. We need corporate executives to visit and teach us. We need more scholarships. Education is key. We have a lot to offer, but we need professionals to help us hone our skills and expand our knowledge. And guess what? I think they are right. They are so right. And when I chose breaking down solitudes as my motto, I sought to remind us that we must build more bridges of solidarity over the troubled waters of fear of the other, misunderstanding, and apathy. We need to take more time to get to know each other, to talk to each other, to support each other, to believe in each other. And this is all about shared responsibilities. And particularly today, it is about corporate social responsibility. For in the current economic crisis, for if the current economic crisis teaches us anything, it is that 
our future is inextricably linked to our willingness to abandon the excesses of the past, or what I like to call the everyone for himself and for his clan mentality, and cleave tighter than ever before to our most precious, most durable, and most productive resource. What is that? Dear friends, it is each other. So you may wondering, you may be wondering, what can I really do? Where can I even start? How can I relate this to the strategic priorities of my company? Take the time. Take the time to meet young people and emerging leaders. Listen to what they have to say. Mull over their suggestions. They are part of the solutions. Take their requests seriously. Integrate them into your teams. Build new partnerships. Realize that in the long run, the new relationships you are forging will pay off exponentially. Because empowering youth, enhancing diversity, and investing in our communities make sense. And let me say it again, they make business sense. Would you say it with me? <laughs> they make business sense. Thank you. <laughs> so as uh, the world prepares to celebrate the International Year of Youth, which begins on August 12, I encourage you and all Canadians to work together to ensure that the new generation of leaders of all backgrounds is fully empowered and integrated into our efforts to build a stronger, more prosperous, and more harmonious Canada. Parce que notre avenir, autant que le leur, en dépend. Our future, as much as theirs, depends on it. Merci infiniment de votre attention. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Your Excellency. Very profound words. I'd now like to welcome to the stage Ratna Amdavar and John Tory, co-chairs of Diverse City. 
and emerging leaders Chinnery Eni, Jabril Jallo, and Gavin Shepard to the stadium, please, to the uh, stage. Everybody comfortably seated, wonderful. Let me add my voice to all of yours in thanking Her Excellency, our Governor General, for those wonderful and gracious comments. It's wonderful to have you here in the city. It's particularly wonderful to have you here speaking at a diversity event. Uh, we've gathered a group of leaders who are going to talk to us about leadership and leadership journeys. As you can see, John is young. Jabril, Gavin, and Chineri are younger. <laughs> and I have the enviable task of playing Oprah for an afternoon. And I'm going to enjoy it so much that I might consider a career change. Um, just about a year ago, David Pico and I introduced the diversity project to the city. And we said, we will, as a city region, imagine leadership differently. And we said to you that we would introduce you to at least 1,000 new leaders who would propel our city to diversity. I'm very pleased to tell you we are way ahead of our timelines and our goals. And we're having a wonderful project. And there's information and literature available for you to take a look at. But I want to really get into this conversation with our leaders here. So, let me start with a question to all of you. And John, I'll give you the courtesy of going first because you are young. Yeah. You are young. So how is the leadership required today and in our future, given the hyper-diverse nature of the city region? How is it different from the leadership of yesterday? I don't think it's just uh, because of the uh, diversity of our own communities, but I think it's because of the way the world is that decision-making has to be more collaborative in nature and, as a result, has to involve everybody if you can possibly do it. That's a big challenge. But I think in a world where events that take place in one corner uh, can immediately impact on something that's going on in every other corner, uh, where a social or environmental event can have profound economic effect and you can work all those different combinations, economic effects can have environmental effects and so on, it's not just an option. But it is an imperative to make decisions on a collaborative basis, which means, and by the way, not just in politics, but as Her Excellency said, in business, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, and I think it's going to produce better decisions. I think it's going to produce some decisions, period, if you have people at the table. And I think it means that while this room looks good today in terms of uh, who is represented here in many respects compared to lots of other rooms, there are many, many other rooms many of us go to that don't look as good in terms of having people at the table. You can't collaborate if somebody's not there with you. So I think it's collaborative decision-making, which means people have to be at the table taking part in the decisions. Wonderful. Thank you. Chineri, what do you think? Well, from my perspective, I think that leaders need to be more aware of the smartest mind in the room, and by that I mean the collaborative mind. Uh, I think we need to develop, well, I think we need to do two things. I think we need to choose leaders differently, and I also think we need to develop leaders differently. 
And that thinking outside the box um, or that collaboration that John was mentioning, it just can't happen from the same insular networks that we've been used to working with in the past. Um, we need to, when I said choose leaders differently, I believe we need to choose leaders who are skilled at incorporating inclusionary practices into the way they run their businesses. And when I speak of developing leaders differently, I think that we need to expand our definition of talent to recognize both formal and informal work experiences. Um, and we also need to help those leaders think differently or think outside the box. And uh, our CEO, Gordon Nixon, who just spoke a short while ago, um, heads our diversity leadership council within RBC. And I mention that because I think that diversity has to start at the top of the house, and that trickles down and affects the culture of the whole organization. And that Diversity Leadership Council meets each and every quarter and reaches out to employees across the organization to bring in new and innovative ideas. So every quarter we're looking at how we can run a merit-based organization better with an innovation mindset. Um, and recently, um, Ratna, I'm a, a graduate of the Diversity Fellowship Program, and I was asked to join a DLC meeting to share some of my experiences. And one of the things it did was it forced me to reflect on my own experience as a diverse person. Um, and I realized the lens of privilege that I look through. And by that I mean I've been afforded a fantastic education. And that has changed the way I see the world. So no matter how diverse we all think we are, there's always more to learn. So I think that if we choose and develop talent differently, that will make a huge difference. So Kevin, you come from a very different world, let's say, from Chineri, what do you make of leadership today? I think it's, it's definitely about recognizing that leadership comes in all you know, shapes and forms. And I think also that um, w one statement that she just mentioned, the idea of having an innovation kind of mindset, right? And where that comes from and how it works. I mean, looking at the world today and looking at where we've been, the leaps and bounds in the last couple of decades, we never could have predicted the challenges that we're facing. We never could have predicted how global our economy has become, you know? And as Toronto especially, being such a center for kind of a soft economy, you know, economy that's based on intellect, that's based on what people bring to the table and the different types of intelligences, I think we have to be able to look and cast a far net to make sure that we're, we're getting all of those there so we can move forward, you know, in a progressive way. And I think, you know, one um, thing that steps out to me too, building off that comment, um, Sir Ken Robinson is a really, really interesting thinker and speaker and whatnot. And he always speaks about that idea of not being able to prepare for the future because of how rapidly things are changing, you know, in technology and the way that we interact with each other and the opportunities that arise. And the only way that we can really prepare for that future is, is to prepare our young people and our young leaders to think creatively and to, um, and to embrace those changes, right? So I think it's, it's about opening those spaces as, as leaders existing within the community now and also on a business level, opening spaces for people to think creatively, to take risks, to take chances, and to move forward from there. I think that's a great segue to Jabril because here's the living example of taking risks and doing things differently. Jabril, can you reflect on that question, the leadership of tomorrow and today being different from the leadership of yesterday? Um, I can speak on the leadership of today. I'm a leader myself, so I just can give you the definition of what I feel a leader should be and should have. Um, I feel a leader should be strong, outgoing, open-minded, um, be able to put themselves in any, well, 
not be able to put themselves in a situation, but be able to take themselves out of any situation they've been put in by like weighing out the pros and the cons and um, figuring out which way and what they should use to get out of that situation, ex especially helping their team do the same thing. And um, sorry, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm prob obviously not doing my job as Oprah well enough yeah, because yeah. whenever I see her, she makes helps people relax. So I have a long way to go to to learn that. Chineri. Let me get back to you. you. You spoke about thinking outside the box. Your whole life has been, in a way, outside the box. Can you describe to us how that way of acting and thinking, how it has helped you get to where you are today? I certainly can. Um, and I'll speak about my career. 11 years ago, um, when I was a new graduate from UBC, I was profiled in an article for nonprofit work that I was really heavily involved in. And uh, as a result of that article being released, I got a call from RBC. And the woman on the phone mentioned that the volunteer experiences I had gained while I was a student were considered to be leadership experience on par with any of the working experience on my resume. Um, of course, that pleased my parents, who were curious as to why the bank called on a Sunday afternoon. Um, <laughs> but, but really, what that message that it, that it gave me was that Skills, regardless of where they're developed, are still transferable. And by bringing in a variety of different types of individuals into the organization, we can strengthen, uh, we can strengthen the way that we do business. Um, now, I personally recognize that I check off a lot of boxes on any diversity scorecard, being um, a woman of African and Aboriginal descent and contending with a physical disability, being an amputee. And each one of you, as we walked up to the panel today formed an opinion of each one of us, including myself, probably in about 30 seconds. And I recognize that, um, that that's human nature. We will always need to categorize. But in my opinion, I think that most important question we need to ask ourselves is, number one, we need to be aware of it. Number two, we need to ask, how can these attributes translate into my business? How can these attributes help and benefit my workplace? And in my case, let's say the disability, for example, having to overcome any obstacle in your life, whatever that is, um, really can speak to a tenacious mindset when you thrive. And that mindset I can absolutely um, share with you has translated into my work and my work ethic. Um, and that looking at things differently will allow us to, to gather more of those unique and different individuals that will strengthen us. Um, I also wanted to talk about the fact that I don't think that the discrimination or the lack of solidarity is a conscious effort on anyone's part, well, for the most part. I think that really we do these things silently. And the very fact that we're here today, we recognize that there is an issue, that we need to consciously broaden our networks, we need to consciously open our eyes to new and different people. And by opening our minds, I think that we'll ultimately open doors for our business and, and for our workplace. Thank you. Jibril, I hope you're feeling more comfortable now. Let me ask you the next question. When we chatted earlier, I was impressed by how many risks you've taken. And your whole life is really a story of risk. Would you like to share some of those stories with us? One, one story with us? We're running. The story that we were talking about earlier was when I was in high school. Uh, I wasn't too concerned with doing my schoolwork all the time. Didn't really like school. <laughs> And um, 
my mom, this was in grade nine, my mom, in grade 10, sorry, my mom didn't come to my grade eight graduation because she said, you know, you didn't do that well, I'm not gonna come. So I was like, okay, whatever. But when I went to the graduation, it kind of hurt me because all my friends' parents were there, my mom wasn't there. So that kind of bothered me for a bit, but I didn't do better in school. But in grade 10, my mom said to me, why do you go to school? So I was like, what do you mean, why do I go to school? I go to school because I have to. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, no, well, just don't go anywhere. I'm like, why? She's like, oh, you don't do good anyways. I said, Mom, you don't think I could do good? She's like, no, I don't think you could do good. I'm like, Mom, I could do good. I just don't like to go to school. And she's like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever you said. I said, all right, Mom, let's, let's make a bet. If I do good in school and obtain like a good average, I think it was like 94%, you got to start treating me like a man. <laughs> and she's like, treat you like a man? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm the man of the house, so I think you should treat me like a man. Um, so she was like, all right, well, I know I'm going to win the bet anyways, so let's go. So the next day I went to school, I told all my teachers, I'm like, all right, listen, I got this bet with my mom. If I do good in school, I'm going to be the man of the house. All my teachers are laughing at me. I'm like, all right, I need you to help me out as much as you can. So all the teachers like moved me from the rest of the kids, and I sat by the teacher's desk, and I'd like, you know, go over all the, all the questions with them that I didn't understand. I stayed after school, stayed in for lunch. And then, you know, I'd get some test scores and they'd be really good. And I'd bring them home to my mom, like, mom, mom, look, it's getting closer. Get ready, you know? And my mom's like, yeah, 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 whatever. We'll see. It's just one mark. I'm like, all right, cool. Don't worry. And then um, the midterms came around. I was like, perfect. This is good. This will buy me some time. I'll be good. Went home, showed my mom. She's like, oh, it's just the midterm. It's not the full thing. It's hard. It's, it's easy to get the marks, but it's harder to keep them. I was like, all right. All right, cool. We're going to do this. So I went back to school and I like stayed. I had all these projects and my teachers were really on me. Um, and now the end of the year came and I got my marks back. My math mark was like a 93% and like I've never even got over 60 in math before. So it was like a really big <laughs> change. Um, my drama mark, I got 99. Um, marketing, I got like 96. And I think I had horticulture class or something. I got like in the 90s. So I brought, and that was like, they showed me the marks the day before, and I was like, all right, mom, report card's coming out tomorrow. These are the things I've written up. This is how you got to treat me after tomorrow. <laughs> so she, was, she read the list, and she was laughing. Like, one of them was like, all right, you can't ask me where I'm going when I'm leaving the house. <laughs> Second thing is, um, I like steak on Wednesdays, so make sure. So, you know, me and my mom, we, we just had a little fun, but... The sad thing was the day my report card came out was November 13th. It was a Thursday, 2003. The morning that my report card came out, my mom passed away that morning. So it was like, but from that day on, I was just like, everything I do, every success point that I've hit on my life, I do it like it was that report card from my mom. Sorry. Thank you, Jabra. For that, yes. So, John, you know, we've heard two different kinds of leadership journeys. I'm going to guess you were born with a leadership package of a very different kind. So, how has that package changed? But, you know, we can, we can smile about these things, but the bottom line is that I was born with access to those networks that the Governor General talked about. And so were a lot of people in this room. So were a lot, a lot of people weren't. 
And I ask the question all the time in the work that I'm doing with the diversity and with the City Summit Alliance, who does somebody in Jane Finch or Malvern or St. Jamestown or Jamestown or Regent Park call to get their kid a summer job? They don't have anybody to call. And so when I hear a story about somebody at RBC who had the, the, the determination and the ingenuity and the enterprise to pick up the phone and call and ask you what you were doing with your life because they'd read about you, I say, well, good on them. And, and that, that's taking a risk in a way because when you invite those people and you don't know for sure that they're going to perform. But I think the people in this room, one thing we know that we're good at is risk-taking because it's risk-taking that has built the wealth and built the privilege that a lot of us have had and the standard of living we've had in the country. And so I think in order to resolve this, uh, this, this, this emerging two solitudes, because it's true, I mean, if we want to be honest about it, then we're going to have to take some risks and we're going to have to show the determination to go out and reach out to people who don't have access, as I did, uh, to the networks. What, would you think of building a t buying a telephone from somebody today that only reached half the people in Toronto? I mean, so if you're building a company, then don't you want to build one that reaches everybody in Toronto? In some cases, that means reaching out to them, not just picking up the phone, but it means reaching out. And I think there's going to be a determination and the same commitment to risk-taking that makes people in this room successful that's going to be required. But the risk-taking is going to pay huge dividends uh, that are going to pay, pay themselves off in the way that Her Excellency uh, said. It's the right thing to do, but it also, as she said, uh, makes business sense, and it makes a sense in a whole lot of other ways. Thank you. Gavin, you're leading a leadership project with young people in the city who are using new media and new forms of communication. What can people in this room do to support the young leaders that you're working with? Uh, I would say, as Her Excellency so aptly put, like just to get involved. It's, you know, people often, when they come from the nonprofit sector, we, we kind of feel like professional beggars and we, you know, we walk around with our hands out and we're always asking for something. But really, the most valuable thing is always time, right? I mean, it, it's literally that. It's time and it's an open heart, as Her Excellency said. It's sitting down it's, and being available, you know? Because that mentorship aspect of what we do is probably the most important part. We have incredible facilities, you know, where young people can access all sorts of things from music recording stuff to video editing to graphic design to our business as, uh, side. But really, it's the people that, that bring that space to life, right? And it's not just about the staff, but it's about the mentors that come to the table from different industries. You know, at today, you know, we, we partner with people like Universal Music Canada or MTV and whatnot to, to actually bring kind of a hands-on learning experience into the unclassroom, you know, which is what Remix is. It's not necessarily your, your typical classroom by any stretch. Um, and it's recognizing, I think, you know, as, as people in this room too, the different types of learning styles um, that exist, right? I mean, we have a plethora of cultures uh, that, that make up Toronto, but within these cultures, there's also different types of learning styles. There's oral societies versus people who are m much more better at kind of just learning, reading, retention, regurgitating, et cetera, right? Not one style is better than the other, but recognizing that when you're dealing with young people, if you feel like they're not getting it or if you're running into frustration and whatnot, that's not necessarily their fault. Um, pot potentially, it's the way that you've been communicating, right? Or the way that we've been communicating, as I've learned you know, through trial and error over the years. So it's recognizing these things, taking the time and saying, how do I make sure that I get through to you? And then how do I also listen to you um, in the most effective way, right? And taking the time to do that. It's all about time. So Gavin, are you optimistic for the future? Uh, there's nothing to be but optimistic. I mean, knowing what's happening in this city and in this country, um, you know, being privileged enough to have traveled around and seeing the incredible work and the incredible minds, the brilliance, the inspiration that exists like every single day, the people that you run into on the street in, in snatches of conversations and moments in time, you can't be anything but optimistic. There's so much brilliance. There's so much potential. 
in this city from the streets up to the boardrooms that there's, there's absolutely no way that we can't you know, make a stronger society and a, and, a, and a better one, you know? Okay. Thank you. So, Gavin is optimistic. Chinieri, are you optimistic? Short final statement. Yes, I would say that Toronto, I mean, we've said earlier, it, we're uniquely positioned to take lead on this. And um, I'm optimistic that if we work a little bit smarter about how we mentor and how we develop people, that we can have a multiplier effect and change the culture, which will ultimately drive our behavior uh, in a way that will be fruitful for us all. And if I can just quickly share one thought, um, a colleague that is here today, and actually it's a saying that we have at RBC, which I thought fitting, is having diversity is interesting. Doing something with it is powerful. And I thought that was perfect for today. It's good. It really harnesses the message. Jibril is, of course, on the fast track on the fashion scene. Are you optimistic for the future? I'm definitely optimistic for the future. Good. Gavin? I would just say, just in, in terms of my optimism for the future, one of the, the main reasons why I'm so optimistic is because of the young people like Jibril that I work with every day. And I was wondering if you could just recognize the young people from the Remix Project around the room, if they could just raise their hand really quickly, because they've all been hand-selected to be here. Um, the one... One thing that we've never been about is, is tokenistic, and you know it's not, and that's the that's the, that's the furthest thing from what we're about. We're always about merit. It's a meritocracy, right? But it's understanding that some people have harder uh, times accessing, you know, um, networks to be recognized and what their merit is. So just wanted to recognize those young people that are around the room. They're here because they've actually excelled through different semesters and different classes. They've been called from that, and are really some of the brightest and interesting young minds in the city. So if you have a chance to talk to them, please do. John, I'm going to give the final word to you because unfortunately our time is up. What's the message you'd like to leave this room to leave with? Well, I think the, the fact is the people, the young people today that the Governor General talked about are more talented. I'm, I'm glad I am getting older, as you were so kind to point out earlier, <laughs> <so> because <laughs> it means that, that I'll be retired before they really get into the, uh, into the workforce and the professions and the nonprofit world. But a lot of them just need a little bit of help taking the talent they have, which is incredible, and, 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 and getting to where they can be and where they can fulfill their potential. It's not true to say, build it and they will come, because sometimes people don't know what it is or where it is or how to find it. And so I think if you take the example of the one phone call that we heard about from Chinari, that somebody at the Royal Bank made and each of us decides we're going to do that in our own way to reach out to somebody, um, it is going to make a difference. All of us in this room are privileged. And we're privileged just by the fact we're here. But I think we've got to take that as a responsibility to reach out and harness this talent, which is in our self-interest uh, in terms of being prosperous and businesses and professions doing well. But it's also the right thing to do, which I think Canadians uh, try to, to do uh, pretty well every day if we can. So that, I'm op very optimistic we'll do that because we know it's the right thing to do and because it makes so much sense. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of our event. Thank you very much, panelists. Thank you, Your Excellency. Thank you to the Canadian Club. To the panel, to thank you very much to Ratna, John, Chenery, Jabril, and Gavin. Another round of applause. Thank you very much. And I know that they'll uh, stick around after lunch if you have any questions, uh, further questions. Um, and I also wanted to, uh, to thank again Her Excellency, the Right Honourable Mikhail Jean, Governor General of Canada, for joining us today. This is a very special event, and your very special words to us. So thank you very much.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for the departure of Her Excellency, the Right Honourable Mikhail Jean, Governor of General of Canada, as she has a very busy schedule. And thank you so much, Your Excellency, for joining us today. The Governor General. <laughs>